0: with lockdown two here our sponsors bison beer have you covered their lock-in box contains a selection of 12 brews from sussex to help you hunker down and stay safe free same day delivery in the local area is available all week so head to bisonbeer.co.uk to stock up this is football the albion and me with richard newman Hello, welcome to Football, the Albion and me. I'm Richard Newman. This is episode 28 of the podcast and six of series two. If you're new, where have you been? There's loads to catch up on. The ground we cover in the majority of each episode is not time sensitive. So you've got a back catalogue to get stuck into. In this episode, we welcome a true Albion legend to look back at his time at the club. Kerry Mayo was a Brighton fan who achieved his dream of becoming a footballer and spent his entire Football League career with the club. The stories he tells here are brilliant. From the nightmare of the dark days and the sacrifice Jimmy Case made to make Kerry's professional career possible, to some great tales about the playoff final in Cardiff. Enjoy. Follow Football, the Albion and me on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Kerry, thanks so much for coming on Football, the Albion and me. A true club legend. Loads to talk about. Thanks so much for your time. Um, Now, look, each podcast, we start at the same point. So I'm going to ask you to think back years to the young Kerry. What was life genuinely like in your household growing up? It is
1: absolutely amazing. Um, Blimey, that's going. (laughs) They can be right back. Um, it, it was brilliant. There it was, it was a ball at my feet. It was always a, a sponge ball indoors. Um, that way, my mum wouldn't get a knife and put it through <laughs> it. Uh, and and it was literally just a. Yeah, I used to get told off by the neighbours for kicking a ball against the wall. I think I was. It's probably because of me that the no ball game site used to go up on the on the council estate where I was living. Um, I Always used to get chased off and then go to a different wall, get chased by that fan. Oh, there's a nightmare but if it wasn't for me growing up in a in an, in an era where people were out on the streets in the greens and being local then I certainly wouldn't have made it in as a professional footballer because it, it's the old cliche we used to go out knock on the doors via mates all jumpers for goalposts go on the green and we literally used to play until our, our parents generally our mums used to come and say right you're coming in for dinner now and um it didn't all the street lights come on you know that was time mm-hmm. to go but it was um it it was amazing and we used to have where i grew up in peace haven um back of peace haven there's a sort of few council states up there my mum still lives there now and i don't think she'd ever move move but uh I you know, sort of go back and see her every every other month, um, every other week, and it sort of brings back memories. Just driving in and seeing the greens and showing my children. That's where I used to play football and things like but, that. Yeah. But we used to set we used to set up mini leagues between the different uh, roads or council estates. And and if if for whatever reason certain people couldn't play or make it, then there'd be a, there'd always be minimum sort of eight people there that would be on the green that are playing. We'd end up playing Wembley or Wembley yeah. pairs or something like that. So it was always always a
0: a ball you know, involved. Yeah, so football's obviously always the big passion. Was there anything else you were very interested in when you were growing up, or was it all football? Well, when I got to school, um, secondary school, we were very fortunate, actually,
1: that we had a really good PE department. Went to Tideway School in New Haven, which is now Sea Haven, I believe. It burnt down sort of about 20 years ago, but um, it needed burning down in the nicest <laughs> possible way. It was a, but now it's a, it's a new, up-to-date, Future future-proof school, and I think they're doing really well. But when I was there, we were very fortunate. We had very good PE teachers, um, and one in particular, or a couple, Steve Dunhill, um, and but one in particular, Gary Henderson, who went on to uh, coach England RFU under-18s, and he was in charge of the England England Youth Rugby Union, and he was our coach, and he was brilliant, and so. We, we, I, I become very good at um, rugby union as well, sort of playing number 10, fly half, used to call out the moves from the backs and mm-hmm. I was always on the penalties, drop goals, conversions, that sort of thing. And, and I loved it. And I ended up playing for Sussex three times okay. uh, and, and sort of top scorer in those three games because of my kicking. And when it sort of come to it, this was back in the day when I could have even made it rugby or football, but at the time, generally, rugby was uh, was seen as a, an upper class sport in the nicest possible way. Um, sort of more private schools, or edu- uh, private educated players that players tended to be like pilots, doctors, surgeons, that sort of thing, solicitors. Um, not some sort of council estate child that <laughs> that come through a normal state school. And at the time, also, there was no money in rugby. It was an amateur sport back then. So for me, it, football was my first love. It was a really true one love, and it was an easy option for me to, to sign, sign up as a um, schoolboy for Brighton of Albion.
0: Yeah, uh, so, so before we get to that point, who, who did you grow up supporting? Brighton. You did support Brighton, so you full on, yeah. full on Brighton. No, never, yes. never conversation with one of the so-called bigger clubs in the Premier League. No,
1: well, but my, my younger years, it was Manchester United until mm. I was about seven or eight, and then my neighbours were season tickets at Brighton. At the mm-hmm. Goldstone Ground, and it, obviously, from the age of 11 or 12, I was on the books of Brighton of Albion. Yeah. You know, after being put through from my local team, Peace Haven Pirates, and because obviously the affiliation with my neighbours and affiliation with me playing for Brighton, I went with my neighbours a few times, and they were always in the South stand, the family stand. And uh, yeah, I fell in love with Brighton then, and whenever I to really get excited as a kid driving past old Shoreham Road mm. and stuff like that. The old, the old North stand. And so, so from then really a young age, when i about eight, eight, nine, I was, i would become a Brighton fan. Um, always looked out for Man United, but Brighton was, was the home club, home team. Mm. None of my mates had Brighton shirts. I think I was the first one in school to get a Brighton shirt. They mm-hmm. all had Man United, Liverpool, Arsenal. They wasn't even Chelsea then. And it was, um, yeah, and that, and that was it. It was a, so I yeah, I become a Brighton fan at a very early age, but I've been watching them since about the age of nine or ten.
0: Yeah. So how special then when you get that opportunity so young to to join a club that you support?
1: It's it's really special. Um, it, all you want to do at that age, or all I wanted to do was was play football and be a professional footballer. And and every year I sort of kept getting called back um to go up to the next stage group and play mm. in the next stage group and the older you get, the more elite the players get, and um, the better the standard of football gets. And then it just starts to become starts to become a bit real. You know, you have to. I had to then uh, stop playing with my mates at the local team, the Open Pirates. I had to stop playing school football, and it's it sort of become quite difficult for me, really, because there's myself and another player, Jay Pickering, who are still very good friends with now. Um, we, we ended up becoming youth team players, and through that whole process, you know, we sort of not lost touch with our friends, but we had to separate our friendship from them because they were leaving school and starting off going either to college or going start going down the pub or getting interest you know, girls that sort of thing. Whereas we had to concentrate on the football side of things and actually take life a bit more serious at an early age. But at the age, I remember when getting offered of a youth team contract we were down the beach actually uh all of us and then myself and Jay we started just doing hill runs up the <laughs> up the hill to get towards the cliff top and they, all the rest of our mates were thinking we were crazy and nuts and and things like that we, whilst they were jumping off the groin <laughs> we were doing hill runs and everything a bit of fitness because on that Monday morning we were going in at the age of 16 just leaving school in in June early July um to do a pre-season and we'd be doing you know a pre-season with the likes of steve foster jimmy case mm. in chapman you know these these legends of the game yeah uh, with, you know barry lloyd had left the club then liam brady was manager so one minute one day we were at school uh, next day we we're um doing pre-season training with with these legends
0: that Amazing. you know we'd we'd looked up to all our all our lives yeah aspire to be that's incredible but so you've had your youth team contract when you um Signed your first professional contract, did you sort of think I'm sort of living the dream here? What, what can you remember that moment? Well, it is. I, it's, I'll,
1: I'll go back to that because I, I okay. remember when we was in the youth team or as a schoolboy, we had uh, Ted Street and Mike Barrett, his assistant. Mike Barrett was an old youth team player that didn't quite make it through a knee injury, but he become a really good coach and a sidekick to Ted Street, who was there for years. And uh, George Petrie was our youth team manager. But I remember they sat us down in, as the a, a youth team, they sat us down in the South Stand, where, I, again, this is where I used to sit as a fan, like nine, ten years old, mm. and, and watch the team anyway. But they sat us down in the South Stand. It was an empty stadium. And they just sort of said, right, just close your eyes and just listen to what I'm going to say. So we all closed our eyes as a youth team player. And they said, right, now imagine yourself walking out of that tunnel crowd are cheering. It's a home game. It's a really important game. Imagine yourself as a goalkeeper. You know, it's the last minute. You're winding up. The attacker comes through and you're one-on-one and all of a sudden you tip it around the corner. The ref blows the whistle and you've just won us the game from a save. Or as you're a defender. You know, as a last-ditch tackle. You head one off the line or something like that and win us the game. Or you're going up for a set-piece and score a goal. Imagine that feeling, you know, full-back. And, and he just went through the whole positions. And at the time, I was playing left winger. Uh, and he sort of said to me, you know, imagine yourself as a winger. You know, you're one-on-one on one with a defender. You take this nil-nil and you take, well, it's two-all and you're taking them on. You get up to the bar line you put it one back and we score from it. And you just think you've made that goal. And and he just went through each and every position. You know, imagine the strike the ball coming in, you're heading it or you get a shot off and it wins us the game. And the hairs on the back of your neck, you were just there visualising it. And and just, you know, the crowd cheering your name and everything like that. And then he goes, right now, now open your eyes slowly. Now put your hands up if none of you here want to be a professional footballer. And it just made you then realise, actually, mm. flipping hell, I want <laughs> this more than ever. Mm. And what I did that day, I went home to my mum's and my dad's, uh, mum and stepdad's, and I wrote on a cork board next to my mirror one day I am going to be a professional footballer and I put three footballs all the way around it. And every morning before I went training or before I went to bed, I read it to myself three times in the mirror because I wanted it that bad. And that was just that one act of, um, mo- or that one moment, which is what I really relate to and really remember is when I wanted it more than anything in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, and then when it then moving forward to your question there about being offered a pro contract, this is another story altogether. <laughs> and not many people know this is that when back back then you was in the youth team, you did two years, so you started as a first year YTS, then you did your second year, and then the first years come in. So it's only the second years that were up for a pro contract at the time. At this particular year, my year, there was nine of us, and we'd been together every day for the last two years we'd all agreed whatever happens that evening we're going to go out for something to eat we're going to go out for a few drinks together we're a family we're good mates and you know we're sort of either congratulate or commiserate the hardest thing for me was i was the only one out of nine to get offered a contract so that evening was really awkward mm-hmm. inside i was i was absolutely buzzing but i was also really upset that i was the only one i'm with eight other people i've been with for two years none of them got contracts and it was And it's just, again, it was another learning curve for me in football on how it could be so jubilant, but also be so upsetting and kill somebody's career at an early stage. And none of those players actually went on and had careers. Um, And it's it's sad because there are some bloody good players there. And the only reason, the only reason there were no players that got offered contracts because the Goldstone, or Brighton at that time, had sold the Goldstone. Mm. They were in so much debt, they just could physically could not afford to bring anyone on. Now, here's the really interesting part of this. The only reason I got a contract was because Jimmy Case, who was manager at the time, mm. said there's no way we can let this player go. He took, a bear in mind, I was on £35 a week YTS. He took £150 a week wage cut that i could get a contract jimmy case did that jimmy case done that for me wow now there's other stories i've got with jimmy which i can't really say on air (laughs) (laughs) but let's just say the guy is an absolute legend i owe my whole professional career that one moment of kindness now he again i was only on a month-to-month contract so by this time, I come back to pre-season. I was on £150 weight. For me, it wasn't about the money. It was the fact that I'd become a professional footballer for my club that I loved, grew up watching, and now I was like, roar the Rovers. It was amazing. And Jimmy lasted until uh, December, I believe, early December. He gave me my first debut mm-hmm. uh, at home against Carlisle on a cold, damp Wednesday night. We were 3-0 down or we lost the game 3-1. i come on a sub for the last 10 minutes. And that was me coming on at the goal stand. that was my moment where I was visualising in the south stand me coming on that pitch and the crowd cheering and clapping. And that was my debut. But that weekend, we were playing Fulham away at Craven Cottage. And I was starting. So that was my first full debut away to Craven Cottage Fulham. I was on free kicks, corners, long throws, everything. Mm-hmm. and I kid you not all I, I must have covered every blade of grass because it was my first game I just wanted to prove to everyone that I warranted being there I wanted to at the time the club were 11 points adrift at the bottom of the football league yeah. and, at the, and there was only one club that dropped out into the conference and that was us at that time and I made a promise to myself that as a fan of the club as a player i will roll my sleeves up um, never wore long sleeve shirts I just wanted to wear um, short sleeve, but they wouldn't give me short sleeve because it would cost too much money. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to wear long sleeve shirts. It, it was just bad times at the club. Mm. Jimmy, unfortunately, got sacked. And, you know, you look back now on the results to results business, right? So it was the right decision for the club. Well, you know, we were 11 points adrift, but he gave my debut. gave my chance. Steve Grit came in as manager and I got called up into the office. Uh, we played a game and I think, can't remember if we won or not, but we won every home game that season. We, uh, from, I think, since Steve Grit took over, we won a, every home game, which is enough to get us up to, obviously, overtake Hereford at the, last, the mm. last leg. But Steve Grit come into me. And obviously, back then, there wasn't the Bosman ruling or anything like that. I was on a month-to-month, month, so anyone could have come in for me. Yeah. Unbeknown to me, Fulham had come in, Swansea, and I think okay. it was Blackpool. But unbeknown to me, I didn't have an agent at the time. Steve Gritz come downstairs and said, Kerry, get my effing office. (laughs) (laughs) So I've gone up there, why didn't you effing tell me? You're only on a month to month. We've just had people coming in for you, this, that and the other. Right, sign this. And I said, said, what is it? He goes, it's a a full-term contract, two and a half years. I've told the club, this, that and the other. At this point, Dick Knight had taken over as chairman. Yeah, so I think I might have been the first signing, proper signing, if that makes sense, or mm-hmm. one of the first. And I looked at it, and it was sort of four hundred and fifty pound a, a week. I'm thinking, bloody hell, bit the chat boy. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, but I was still probably the lowest paid player there at the club. Is but you know, it, it'd be four hundred, five hundred, five hundred and fifty, something like that. Mm. Yeah, you, you know. Anyway, I didn't think twice about yeah, signed. He goes brilliant. He goes, no, don't ever do that again. <laughs> and then, like, and the, the rest, as they say, is history. You know, yeah. we went on to, I'd, I went on to have a glowing career, and every year, sort of the contract, sort of got ripped up and and renewed. And fourteen managers later, <laughs> um, you know, I kept getting re-signed. Uh, the only one that actually let me go, uh, believe it or not, was was an old teammate of mine, Dean Wilkins, who I'm still very good friends with. Mm. But he he was at a time bringing. Um, a lot of youth team players through. Uh, and, and, you know, they, they were saving the club money. There was a lot of, he, he was an excellent youth team manager. He brought in some real good players, great players through the ranks. Obviously, when he was manager and he'd worked with a lot of these players, he trusted them, he knew how they played and he got the best out of them. And he'd he done well. I think that myself and Harty, Gary mm. Hart were released. Then, I think he got sacked. Mickey Adams come in. The first thing he did was ring me and Harty back up and said, yeah, yeah, effing sales in the club. You're <laughs> signing a contract. We're not letting you guys go. Um, you know the club needs players like you. So, mm. again, I was lucky then to have another two or three years. But yeah, it's just every every manager, pretty much, I signed regular contracts with, and they were just going up and up. So, by the time we were in the championship, I was on very good money, enjoying it, and mm. you know, sort of quite a few hundred games in.
0: Mm. We're going to focus on, um, several, so we're going to sort of jump around a little bit, I think, in focusing on some different moments. But going back to the point where you first signed that contract, so the chaos at the club at the time, what was that to deal with as um, as such a young man who, um, who was sort of, I guess you were kind of, there was probably several sort of emotions at that point, wasn't there? Because there you are um, playing for a club that you love. You've just become a professional footballer. At the same time, you can see all the struggles that they're going through. So was it quite a difficult place to be for someone so young?
1: Uh, Yes and no. And the reason I answered it in that way is because, no, because I made it as a professional footballer. That's all I wanted to do. And for me as a fan of the club as well, I just wanted to do everything I could within my own power um, to do as much as I could to help the club get out of that situation. So for me, it was about being on the field and just doing, covering every blade of grass, just doing everything I could in training and in matches. As a fan and as a realist, I probably knew more of what was going on behind the scenes than what the other players did because obviously being in the youth team, being around the dressing rooms, being around the boardrooms and stuff, I probably heard a quite a lot of things I shouldn't have heard. and None of them were positive, being totally honest with you. Um, it's yeah and as look, I'll say as a fan we used to sort of read the Argus newspaper and see things written in there which were totally untrue which are totally different to what I knew and when you know all these marches and everything like that and protests were going on I was all for it because
0: the fans really did deserve to know the truth you, um, just whilst we're on that, though, did you because you were a bit more invested in it? Did you, did you sort of were you sort of explaining that a little bit more to your teammates about how important this was all becoming? Yeah, they they knew they knew, but okay. the club the club did a very good job
1: of or so the management team like you know, like Steve Gritton. When he when Steve Grit came in, he did a very good job of just keeping our minds as players focused on the job in hand, which was do what we can on the pitch. The rest of it just take care of itself. It's out of our control. Um, we, you know, we've just got to hope that it gets sorted. All we can do is what we're here to do, and that's just do a job on the pitch and just win as many games as possible. That was it. He made it as simple as that because it was out of our hands. So, um, but obviously there was many a time that we'd see the protests. There was many a time I've been at games and you know, there's a pitch invasion, crossbar snapped and everything. Uh, was at york city game there's, there's so much going on you know letters to the parliament it was, it was just nice to for me as a player just to do what I can on that pitch um, you know looking back, it was terrible times for everyone. No one knew what was going to happen to that club and it had we gone out of that football league and this is this is a reality had we gone out of the football league into the conference that season, the last season at the Goldstone, after them selling that goldstone ground clear debts it was all to do with archer and his, his business and everything like that his consortium it's just how somebody's able to get away with that i do not know and how that guy did not go to prison god knows but is yeah it's, it's just it's heartbreaking it's upsetting talking about it and taking your mind back that far because it was um yeah it was just a
0: terrible terrible time for the club what, as a whole what are your recollections then obviously it was a brilliant um game against the in the final game of the, uh, the goldstone in terms of the significance of the result um which set up the hereford match but what were your recollections then um having been in the stands of leaving the goldstone at, for the last time
1: it was it was sad because uh, like I say, with the Goldstone his last game of the Goldstone, it is, again, mixed emotions. Stuart Storrs scored, scored and a winner. It was, we, you know, We were then, for the first time all season, we were off the bottom of the table. Then it was going down to the last game. We'd give ourselves a real fighting chance now, a real chance. We're going to Edgar Street a week later, Hereford away. We've just gone above them in the table. All we needed to do was draw. So for us, it was a really good position to be in nervous position we were related, but then coming off the pitch and hearing the bangs and the clangs and everything going on outside where people are ripping up the seats smashing you know ripping up the turf smashing the tunnel and everything like that it was quite emotional I've done a swear I nearly swore then but it was like it was really emotional but then the reality comes in that you're going to Hereford away Edgar Street if we lose that game the club's got no ground they massive debt there's no way on this earth that would be the end of this club. And that's, that's the reality. There's no way the club would have got the crowds in the conference that they get in the in the football league. There's no way that that would have been even less money. They'd have, have just written off the debts and folded. That's, that's my view. Because and, the, con- the conference itself at the time, only one club got into the league. And to do that, you had to win that league. Yeah, with the, with the players at the club and the squad, it wouldn't have been strong enough to do that.
0: Yeah. But obviously you did go to Hereford and you got the result. So let's tackle the elephant in the room, first of all, the own goal. What were your emotions yeah, yeah. going through your mind at that point?
1: Well, again, you know, as a, let's call it "Roar of the rovers, you know, I've sort of gone from bloody hero, helping the club, making my debut, 11 points adrift, covering every blade of grass, doing everything I physically could mm. to try and get help towards getting the club into a position where the inevitable was mm. pretty much, it would have been <laughs> near a miracle to happen. And then i go and bloody put it in the top, top, uh, top corner with my right foot, which I've used for standing on for 20 years. And it's, it's just one of those. I just want, it's in front of our travelling fans I just literally lay in the six yard box and I can still picture it now. I just put my hands over my face and I just wanted the ground to swallow me up. And I just didn't want to be there. And, uh, you know, I've gone from this person being well loved to probably being the most hated man at the club. <laughs> all, all my hard work I'm done in a flash. And it was, um, it was, yeah. But you know, the char- true character, right? Yeah. This, this is just going to spur me on even more now to, to get a, get a result, get a goal, get an assist or get that tackling and mm. cover every, every blade of grass I can just to make this this not be my fault and me bring the club down to a, to <laughs> dropping out of the football
0: league. That, mm. But it works, well. that, then, it
1: works out well. It works out well. It works out well but if yeah. that had happened I'd have got the coach driver to drop me off at Gatwick. I'd have flown somewhere and never come back. <laughs>
0: I'm but not i like, uh, joking. <laughs> up, 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 up pops Robbie out though. And um, can you remember what the celebrations were like after?
1: Yeah, I I, I can. I remember him scoring. Maskey had hit the, the post and it rebounded off and Robbie followed up, left foot along the floor. And I remember sprinting to Robbie. I was the first one in his back. And I can't repeat what I said. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> But it was along the lines of... You've just effing saved my life, <laughs> and it, and it, and it, again, it was it was right in front of the fans. It was amazing, and mm. the the relief just drained from me. And then all of a sudden, it was like right now I can relax and just play again. That's cancelled out my mistake. We're now we're now still in the football league. Mm. And then after that, it was twitchy bum time. They had one on one. I think they hit the bar from a the corner. They headed onto the bar one-on-one, one. Mark Horner made a cracking save and, and eventually that whistle went and it was, the, <laughs> it was the relief and the mm. celebrations were amazing. we go up to our fans. Everyone was cheering, jubilant. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely amazing. It was. And then yeah. uh, again, mixed emotions because then at Edgar street, the tunnel was down the other end of the, the pitch beyond the halfway line, but the, um, Hereford end rather than away. So it was away from our fans. Mm. And then walking back eventually after the sheer, you know, celebrations and emotions, you walk him back and then all of a sudden the reality kicks in because you're seeing the Hereford players on the floor in tears. You know, they've dropped out of the Football League. They're going to be losing their jobs and, you know, they've got families to provide for and you think, bloody hell, this game is so bloody cruel. So then we go in the dressing room and then they were, that was quickly forgotten. We were celebrating again. I mean, Dick Knight come in with a crate of... Nuki Brown Ale <laughs> it wasn't even champagne it was uh, <laughs> Nuki Brown Ale but what he did do actually was um, <laughs> I, think, I think he paid for us to all go Gran Canaria for a week
0: just to mm-hmm. celebrate to the lads and that was all a bit of a blur as well <laughs> um, Before we talk about getting back to Brighton just to quickly touch on uh, Gillingham because it, we haven't really talked much about it in many of the podcasts we've done before but how odd was it then to know that you were going to have to go and play there, because there was speculation it could have been Millwall, which would be um well at least a little bit closer. But going all the way to Gillingham to play home matches—how surreal was that? And how much of a toll did that take on on players as well? Well, it was—it was, it was like every game was an away game, and was, you know,
1: 150 mile round trip from Brighton. for the the a twenty-three, and we used to obviously car share. We tried different things. You know, we tr- we tried to make it as comfortable as possible. We tried getting a coach from from the training ground or Brighton up to um, Rochester mm. Hotel. Then we'd have a pre-match meal and then go to the game and then play. But then that, again, that made it feel like an away game. So we scrapped that after about two or three games, home games. Mm. Then we just ended up car sharing. Myself, Gary Hobson, George Paris, and um, we used to just go up uh, car share. And Ross Johnson used to jump in as well. He always used to scavenge lift Ross. He was too tight to pay for petrol. <laughs> and... But we used to we used to try and take it in turns, but it always ended up being hobbo driving because he hobbo just hated being a, a passenger. And then in the end we used to chuck him a tenner each time just to cover the costs of his petrol. But it was it just it was just surreal. And you know, you look back now and you just think how amazing yet again our fans were. Used to get sort of anything from sort of fifteen hundred to three and a half, four thousand travelling to Gillingham every other week and to watch the lowest league football and it just goes to show how big a club Brighton of Albion are, how special the fans are and how amazing they are. So for two years, obviously went through a couple of managers then when there was sort of uh, Brian Horton got to the helm. Um, Mickey Adams, that's when he started just before coming back to, to with Dean. So, but for two years going up there and we used to, and, you know, you're going back now. We're still sort of late 90s here. Um, yeah. Stuart Store used to be in charge of stocking the bar. So we had a, <laughs> we had a, we had a player's whip and you sort of drive up there. And they used to get the crates of beer out, warm beer, and then hope in the hope that two, two hours after, or three hours sort of playing the game, getting showered and back up to the bar. And then uh, we still had to pay for the drink. <laughs> 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 it was, uh, but that, but the money we made behind the bar paid for our end of season holiday <laughs> or our Christmas <laughs> yeah, party. Yeah. So it it was it was there. There were good ways. Obviously, the fines along the way as well paid yeah. for that. But it's just it's just yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. The memories were good because we were playing. We're still lads getting together. It was great for the fans to come up. But bloody hell, this when I started my career at Brighton, it wasn't all flashing lights you know, yeah. just, sold, just sold the Goldstone ground nearly out of the football league ground share with Gillingham and then you know it took another couple of years before we moved back to Brighton
0: yeah and that's when it all starts to well that's, that's it's been an upward trajectory most, mostly since then in terms of how the club mm. has been run and how it's developed right so um, Mickey Adams took over that of starts to be the beginning of the big rebuilding process in terms of the it starts to quite soon after there's a big squad overhaul um yeah but you also get that return to brighton at Widdean. so you're playing in this extremely raw athletic stadium but just being back <laughs> in the timed. city <laughs> but just being back in the city was that a big relief what did you make of of i guess the first game when you were playing there
1: i remember the first game actually so, incredible Mansfield game. Town. Yeah. Six nil home, Six, nine, nine, ten. Down from <laughs> got hat trick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I uh, still hear about that to this day. <laughs> <laughs> he does not shut up about it. <laughs> it's like, oh, mate, oh, mate. Just, oh, just kept it in the back of the neck, mate. <laughs> <There's>, uh... <laughs> All right, that is what I'm, mate. Um, he's, uh, yeah, I just remember that. And, and it, I remember it was a bright, hot, sunny day as well. Mm. And, the f- and the atmosphere was electric. And I know it was a, an athletic stadium. There's only about six or seven thousand there, but it was electric. We were back home. Um, we win six nil, and then all of a sudden, like you say, that's that's the rise of of where the club are now, really. And yeah. you know, full full credit to Dick Knight and Mickey Adams um, because it did need a squad overhaul. Uh, so, you know, I was luckily for me, Mickey wanted me at Fulham. He was one of the ones that knocked on Steve Grit's door okay. to try and sign me, but. Mm. Um, so Mickey and Corky when they joined they they got me in the end uh, for a lot cheaper as well
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is Football The Albion and me with Richard Newman If there's one thing this podcast misses most about not being able to cheer on the Albion at the Amex, it's not being able to pick up a pie at the same time from official supplier Piglet's Pantry. But fans can recreate that matchday experience with home delivery. And with Christmas around the corner, listeners to this podcast can benefit from 15% off their Christmas range for December pre-order and delivery only. Just visit pigletspantry.co.uk and enter the code ALBIONXMUS, that's all one word, ALBIONXMUS, before the 1st of December at the checkout to get your discount. Follow Football, the Albion and me on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Look, I mean, I'm obviously not going to make you go through season by season or we'll be here forever, but uh, during during those with Dean years while you were there there were five promotions or relegations seven managerial changes six managers actually because of mickey's return then that all in a space of just 10 years and 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 right at the end of your time at albion tony bloom takes over too and they've got a good relationship with tony um yeah when you look back at all of that did it sort of feel that chaotic could it just if you look if you sort of summarize all that it's and 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 by the way, all the, all the way in the background, there's the, whole, there's the push to get to the Amex, which is the, really the big focus. Did it feel that it, busy?
1: It did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there was never a dull season planned for Brighton high yeah. Albion during my time. It was never, ever a dull season. Like, as you said, one, one season we're going for promotion or we're fighting relegation and it was every game, every point mattered. You know, the, and a team that Mickey, to be fair, the team that Mickey got in there, were a really special team. And, you, you know, the, the likes of Charlie Oakway, Rich Carpenter, Danny Cullett, Paul Rogers, uh, Paul Watson, and Christy Wilder, you know, Simon Morgan. You, you can really sort of, and Bobby Zamora, obviously, Paul Brooker, there's Gary Hart. There's loads of players there. And a lot of them were leaders in their own right. So all of a sudden we've gone from a team um, that just basically rejects Potentially from Charlton. and that's no disrespect. You know, when Steve Grit took over, he was just trying to get players in, doing him a favour, as cheap as possible. But then, obviously, there was a bit of investment in the club for once. We we're back in Brighton. Mickey's brought in a great team, or great squad of players, and we just gelled. And the way Mickey got us to jail was brilliant. Even starting from pre-season training, and it's all about one in, all in. You know, there, there was no no one was better than any anyone else. We we're all together as a team, and uh, you know, including him. And you know, even to the point where we used to win a lot of our games in the tunnel before games, um, basically telling our opponents what we were going to do to them out on the pitch. And that, that used to give us the edge. And pe- teams must have thought we were absolute lunatics. <laughs> they must have done. And we've had fights in the tunnel as well over the years with other teams. And it, it's it's been crazy. But... Yeah, you know, I, mean, I remember one one year we got promoted. We sealed promotion at away to Plymouth down at Plymouth Argyle. We'd just beat them two one, and the other results went our way. And there's about five or six games left to play, and, but we'd secure promotion. It was a year we beat Chesterfield, and the old brown envelopes were being waved in the stand and everything. And uh, I remember I started the game at Plymouth. Um, Fresh-faced, and by the end of it, cause there's a massive brawl in the tunnel at half-time, <laughs> I've got two black eyes, and I remember there's a photo of me crapping the fans after the game with two black eyes. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and I remember getting asked, "Oh, where'd you get?" I said, oh, "I just crashed heads and the head up." But it was, it was in the tunnel. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it, it was just brilliant times. The, together, the togetherness, the bond we had was was really special, and that was yeah. the real start of of um, the build of the rebuild of the club. It, special times, and like you say. There were promotions, there were relegations, but we went up together, we went down together, we won together, lost together, drew together, we drank together. We were a real close community and mm. family. There's a real community feel to the club because we shared it with the fans as well, quite a lot of it as well.
0: Yeah, everyone that's come on from those, um, some the sort of the noughties, uh, would say that it was just an incredible atmosphere. It's just incredible team spirit in the squads. And, you know, there's some really strong characters. There's some fantastic young players coming through at the same time. Um, and with all the managers you played under, I'm wondering so who was the most enjoyable to play under and and maybe who improved your game the most? Those might be two different answers.
1: Yeah, I suppose I suppose the most enjoyable was probably Mickey Adams because of the camaraderie and togetherness and the banter and everything. You know, he was all for it. Him and Corky were really good together. Like, good cop, bad cop. You know, Corky would come down and be your mate. And then he would go up and tell Mickey exactly what <laughs> it was like a snitch, but it was it was a great laugh, good fun. Um, so that was probably the most enjoyable. The best manager that got the best out of me was um probably two of them actually, Peter Taylor, but a special mention Steve Koppel. Mm-hmm. I played he was in charge for 75 games and I played in every one of the games he was in charge. And for me, he got the best out of me. The championship was my level. That was and, and he wanted, he wanted to sign me at Reddin when he went to Reading mm-hmm. he he got in touch. He goes, oh, I can't find your agent's number anywhere else. So I haven't got an agent. And he goes, What you've done this all yourself, all this time. I said, yeah, he goes, get yourself an agent. I want to sign you at Reading And, um, but I didn't, I stayed with Brighton, but, uh, Did you never have an agent the whole way through? I I did. I ended up having a couple, okay. but I ended up <laughs> paying them and for not doing any job really. Um, mm. You know, they, one wanted to take me over to Sparta, Rotterdam. One wanted to, I think uh, Simon Grayson, the first time around at Blackpool, wanted to sign me, mm. but they could only pay me the same as what I was on. Oh, hang on, I'm living at home yeah. <laughs> in my you're, hometown. Why would I move up there for the
0: same money? Because you're, you are a, a one-club man in the Football League anyway. So, I, what, what, yeah,
1: I, ever- I am
0: was there ever a thought of going anywhere else was that? i mean because there was interest but would you ever really think seriously about accepting anywhere else come close yeah well Reading was really close actually and okay. if there was one regret it probably was not going to
1: Reading because i had a really good relationship with steve copple and it was a season and this is why it was my regret because looking back in hindsight we were both in the championship um Obviously, Reading already had their stadium. Brighton's kept getting put back, put back. So, Steve Coppell was, you know, enough's enough. Um, so, he went to Medes- Medeski Stadium, Reading. Mm. He was going to take me with him. But I didn't go. I kind of wish I had because it was that season that we got relegated from the Championship down to League One and Reading got promoted to the Premier League. Mm. So, then that would have been my dream, playing Premier League football. And uh, he offered me a three-year deal and I, yeah, I ended up staying with Brighton for two years. And... That, that's my only regret looking back but I've got you know I say that with uh, a pinch of salt really because I don't have any regrets I loved every moment as a professional footballer I, I wanted you know I would have given my right arm to be where I am I realised how fortunate I was the money was good how lucky I was to be playing in front of fans And, you know my, my best games were the ones playing in front of the Leeds United away West Ham United away Tottenham away Middlesbrough mm-hmm. you know they, these sort of clubs because we were only getting eight, 9,000 at the Weave been. Which was great, but full, full house every week. But you'd rather go and play in front of 50,000. Mm. and that's what you aspire to be as a footballer. Mm. So I was really
0: buzzing when we had away games, especially in a championship with some of the clubs we played against. But, <clears throat> but, because because of that, you, you said that about the massive crowds. I mean, we go back to the beginning of your Albion career where it was just you know, it's pretty 50, rotten. Yeah, it's pretty rotten at the time in the you know the nineties. Well, uh, but then you, you know, one highlight must be you know, that playoff final in Cardiff, where you know you've got tens of thousands of Albion fans there have made the trip to the Millennium Stadium. It's a big, also, so it's not only just a big game for the club in terms of trying to win promotion, but it was a fantastic platform to um, to get Falmer. How special was that day in general for you? It, well, it's special for everyone at the club.
1: You know, we just got promoted into the Championship. It was a blistering hot day. And uh, I remember they put the flames on as we came out as well. <laughs> Didn't help, but, but just, it was, I remember it being such a boring game. Yeah. Probably the most boring, boring game <laughs> the whole season. And then obviously the final whistle couldn't come soon enough after Leon scored that penalty. Yeah, <clears throat> Obviously the big man of Wumlu going down, but it was, um, it was absolutely brilliant day. for It was a great day out for everyone. And I've got, I've got a story about that actually. So we um, went back to the hotel after for drinks. <clears throat> um win lose or draw see our families and all that sort of stuff Celebratory celebrate to drink and on the way back i was on the coach it was bloody hot the air conditioning packed up and uh i was sat there's me and Bart sat at the back like a few of us all sat there drinking having a few beers but said to me i'll oh, open up that um top hatch case everything boiling on there i said yeah you're not wrong so i've literally we're on the m4 just come over the uh the, the bridge there and uh, <laughs> I've put the top hatch up and it, all of a sudden it's just gone woof, just flown off the back <laughs> and so we we're all laughing it's like, bloody hell that wasn't supposed to happen anyway I said right everyone just be quiet because if we tell the driver now he's going to pull over so let's just wait until we get back <laughs> and then uh, so we got all the way back and uh, as we're getting off the bus at uh, the with Dean staggering off he goes um, I said just will just let you know your um, lap uh, hatch has fallen off at the back. He goes, is it? I said, yeah. He goes, I said it. It fell off in um, just as we was coming over past the bridge in Wales, <laughs> because, guys he goes what didn't you tell me then i said oh because i knew you'd have pulled over he goes oh yeah fair enough i said we just want to get back and carry on partying he goes yeah that's right he goes well at least i don't have to pay for it he goes you know what kerry he goes i wonder what that amber light was <laughs> flashing he goes it's been on for the last three hours <laughs> he goes I, he goes i wonder what it was he goes now at least i now know what that amber light means <laughs> oh
0: it's brilliant brilliant and uh but <laughs> so I just coach driver, learned something that day. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned earlier on, I mean, you're a club legend. You're a huge favourite. Some of the darkest days were some of the brightest. And it must be very special for you to have been on that journey. And you know Tony Bloom very well, don't you? How, wh- mm. Where does that association go back to?
1: Uh, again, Tony being a fan of the club, mm. but being invested as well for his, his family ties, uh, Harry, etc. Uh, it's just from day one. I mean, they were, they were always around during the Goldstone days. They've always been on the board, uh, mm. etc. Then Tony's injection of cash really sort of taken the club to another level. But I've I've been I've been friends with Tony for years. Um, he, he, he's sort of uh, my testimonial season, I suppose, was probably the best one where he'd come to a couple of my events and and uh, yeah, he's he's just been really really good to me. Um, his, his brother as well deserves a mention Darren always got on really well with Darren and Tony and their parents are lovely they're absolutely lovely but yeah I've been it's one I'll never hear a bad word said against them because they're just amazing mm-hmm. people um, very very kind and you know what they've given to the club and helped get to where it is get that stadium over the line and, yeah yeah we, we we owe a huge amount to obviously to Dick Knight um but also moving on. Dick Knight could only take us so far mm-hmm. uh, in the nicest possible way. But Tony Blue has just stepped up a, to an elite level. When you know, the stadium, everything's second to none. You, you yeah. look at the facility, I don't know if you've been around the facilities, but the training ground's amazing. The stadium's fantastic. Mm. And, and the facilities are only going to get better. Mm. It, it's, it's, uh, it's natural revelation. And I'm so pleased for Tony as well. And I remember saying to Tony when he first took over, he said to me, he goes, uh, carry on, I'm telling you now, we'll be in the Premier League within five years. We were in League One at the time mm. and it was Gus's, I'd, I'd just retired. Gus had uh, uh, taken over his last season at the Wivdean, mm. and uh, we'd just got promoted that season and I remember being at the the after party and I said to Tony, I said, oh, there you go, four more years, but being in the Premier League. He goes, "He goes, ah, it's still going to be five He goes, um, we weren't supposed to be getting promoted this season. (laughs) (laughs) He goes, that's going to cost me a few more quid for the wages. (laughs) And uh, anyway, we laughed about it. And it took six seasons. Mm. It took him six. And then he said to me, I said, there you go, you said five. He goes, I said, how long will it be for Europe? He goes, five years. we would be knocking on the door of Europe. Five years. Mm -hmm. And and we're in a, what, third year now? Mm -hmm. Uh, And again, the club's continuing to grow. The players are getting better. The Squad's getting stronger. Mm. Grand Potter's doing an amazing job. Um, there's still few additions to be had, but we all know that. Um, we need to sort of be scoring goals because uh, yeah. essentially goals win gains. But, you know, you, how far we've come the last two and a half seasons, you look at it, if we keep going that trajectory, two and a half seasons from now, we
0: will be in Europe. And, yeah. you know, anything
1: sort of Tony touches does turn to gold.
0: Yeah, we'll, and, and, <laughs> yeah and, and we'll talk about that just in, in just a second, because just, just finally on on Tony, I wonder what you think about how, um, obviously, supporters owe so much to him for where the club are now in terms of, you know, the stadium and the training ground, like you said, it, it, this wouldn't have happened without him, but it's a, he's a very rare um, Premier League owner. In that he is a fan of the club, that is just yeah. you know those sorts of things at the top level of the game, probably across Europe. They're not massive things anymore, are they? So, how important is it that for you and as a fan um, that you know it's almost like a completely different club in terms of the way it's run and where it's at, the level it's at. Um, if you go back to the beginning of your career, where it was an absolute shambles, mm. but it's because Tony is in is is that is is the owner. Do you think? that is crucial to holding on to the actual, the club's values, which have been through the decades with the Bloom family in general.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things here to, to sort of touch on. I think going back when the club was in such turmoil, the, the real community of the, of the togetherness of the mm-hmm. fans, the stewards, the staff, the backroom staff, the players, everyone sort of knew everyone. Whereas now, obviously they're in the Premier League. It's a different thing altogether tony has come in it's it's uh, a lot more corporate it, um, it's a lot more business run but it needs to be it has to be mm. um and obviously he's got paul in doing a fantastic job for him as well and it, it's being run properly yes um you know the community side of things or certainly community feel has gone but you know, if they're doing great things with the Albion and the community, they, they bring, the community's become greater as a result of the success of the club. You know, it's more and more. You go to football coaching or you go to um, football grassroots now, all you see is kids wearing Brighton shirts. That would never happen 20 years ago. And so the community, as a result of the success that Tony's brought to the club, is amazing. But the community feel, i.e. the stewards, the fans, the players, the, the backroom staff, there's none of that togetherness anymore because it is a business. It has moved on in that sense. So from that side of things, that's a, that's a shame. But in reality, it has to happen, right? It has to. It's, you know, In order for Brighton to move forward as a business, as a club, and grow and become better and stronger and bigger, they need to run it as a business. So there isn't a shambles again. <laughs> Not is because it's, it's so I suppose that's my feeling on it because um you know t- Tony now if I pick the phone up and ring him, he answers the phone, we have a conversation, mm. you know I could ask him anything he he wouldn't tell me half half the stuff I ask him, but because he can't, and you know even as a friend i wouldn't I wouldn't even ask him those those questions, but the good thing is I'll just drop him a message and you know, um, and he it, will get back to me. Is you know we have still got a good friendship, and a good relationship, and he invited me into the boardroom, my wife Jenny, um, last season to have, to be on his table for a game against Southampton, and because I'm, I'm close friends with Matt Letizier off the back of um, my old my old pro baller app. Um, he was the ambassador for that, but we become close, we played golf together, but I remember them playing Southampton. And Tony knew that and he invited myself and my wife onto the table and Matt would be there. And it, just little things like that. He didn't need to do it, but he did. Mm-hmm. And it's just a nice touch. Um, he's, just, he's just a lovely guy. They're a lovely family. And, they, and what they've done for that club
0: is nothing short of sensational and amazing. Yeah. Mm. Um, on the pitch, um, obviously the ambition is to reach the Premier League's top 10. You've mentioned you know, knocking on the door of Europe. Um, so in another what two or three seasons, um, how, what what do you reckon the ceiling is for Albion? And then what do you sort of make of how they're playing now under Graham Potter? Hey, they're, they're playing amazing. They're they're the best Premier League team I've seen this season. Um,
1: the way they're playing football, the way they're conducting themselves, they're they're playing very well against the top teams. If anything, having playing better football. Not some, the, only, the only downside at the moment, the only downside is that we're not converting enough goals or enough chances. Mm. But our attacking style, and the way Graham Potter's, his philosophy and the way he's got us playing is really exciting. And if we did end up, if we're not in the top six or we're not fighting relegation and we end up comfortably in that middle group, then by far we're going to be the best. You know, as a neutral, you'd watch Brighton play because of the way we play. Mm. And the pundits say it, the fans can see it. We're a very exciting team to watch now. It's it's amazing. He's got us playing He's got us so well organised, and he's got a great squad there. And every he's got everyone knowing what their jobs are, and everyone's doing an absolutely amazing. Whether they play on the bench, involved or not, it, it's brilliant at the moment. It really is, and the squad's getting stronger every every see um, every six months they're adding to it. Uh, the strength in depth, brilliant. The quality of players he's got there. And, but you can tell his coaching style is very, very good and he gets the best out of the young players. Solly March this season has been a revelation and he's got the best out of him. Whether he's changed position or what, but he, Solly March is like a new signing. He was always good but this season in particular he, he's been amazing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, Tarek Lamptey, uh, Al Zati, just to just to name a few more. He's getting the best out of these young players so he's yeah. obviously invested. and you know Aaron Connolly as well. He he's, he's just doing a really good job, and I and I'm so glad that uh, his his uh, contract got extended.
0: Mm. Well, Solly March is the modern day Kerry Mayo, isn't he?
1: <laughs> Slimmer, more hair, but uh, yeah, he's you know left footed. He he's he's got a great left foot on him. You know, you, but then you look at his goal against Villa last weekend, mm. top right hand corner you know the pace was on the cross he just had to get a good connection and guide it in
0: yeah you knew it was in before but, even before even hit touched it, didn't you? Oh, the touch did pass from gross yeah. and you just, you just see it you see it all unraveled just well, before it, it even happens
1: yeah but it's again it's quality vision he yeah. has got great players there but what technique from Solly he hasn't taken a swipe he's just mm. you know it was controlled pass into the top corner and that takes working on in the training ground you know mm. that doesn't just happen overnight Yes, he is left-footed and his left foot's amazing. His right foot, looking at that, you, you wouldn't know he's left-footed. Um, but all these players these days, they, 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 they've, all, they've all got their stronger foot, but they work more and more on their weaker foot. It's, it's, it's just, you know, the squad they've got there at the moment and the way they're playing. And you can, you can just see it's a really exciting time for the club. It really is. And there's the, the results obviously wins games, but the results certainly don 't warrant um, sorry, our position in the league certainly don 't warrant the way that we 've played this season mm-hmm. We we, sh- we should be seven six, seven points above where we should be in the yeah. top half easily easily
0: regarding your um career so you i mean you only just really missed out it wasn 't it, was, well, it was a couple of years, but you, it wasn 't far off that you missed out on on playing at the amex How much would you have loved to have played a, a league game there yeah, I missed out by
1: a season didn 't I um, Oh, well, initially, when I had my testimonial, my testimonial was planned for 2006 to be at the very first game at the Amex. Okay. Um, but obviously, kept getting put back and yeah. delayed and delayed. And, so it never happened. I ended up having it with the infront and against Reading. Steve Koppel brought his Reading team back. They just got promoted to the Premier League. With I think League One, he brought them back for my testimonial. So that was nice of him. But uh, it was... Yeah, it's not, not frustrating, but from a personal point of view, all I wanted to do, you know, I was, I've been there from the start when they even brought out their designs for the stadium and I was, yeah. stayed, or if there's one regret in football about playing for the club, it was not playing a first team game at the Amex. Yeah. I've played, I've played there many a times, you know, yeah. sort of with, with ex-players and stuff mm-hmm. like that, exhibition games and charity games. It's a lovely surface, lovely stadium. But what would have been nice would have been playing there in front of, in front of the fans yeah. um, for the first team. That'd have been amazing. Yeah. That. Uh, but I have played at four home grounds. Yeah. For Brighton. <laughs> uh, not, not many people know this actually. So obviously played at the Goldstone, Gillingham with Dean. But there was another one. Um, a bit of a trick question in a quiz. It was Brentford. Um, we played Brentford in a game. It was a home fixture, but it got switched to Brentford. I can't remember the reason why, but it was a home fixture against Brentford at Brentford. So, so that, yeah. there's, I think it's like a trick question
0: in a yeah. quiz or something. Yeah, I didn't know that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, okay. Um, so you eventually retired, um, but what, what have you been doing since hanging up your boots?
1: I've tried a few things. I've tried to be a sports agent um, and... It's, it's one of those. That's a like sh- like shark-infested waters. I didn't yeah. really like it. There was lots of going on. About um, a lot of backstabbing, and yeah, I just didn't like it. Is it kind and of what you would
0: expect it to be as an outsider? If you were to guess what it was, would would, would you kind of not be a million miles away? Do you think?
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, it's one of those. where once you've got the stock, as in the players, mm. and you look after them, you're going to keep them forever, right? But if you haven't got the players and you're just starting out and you're trying to get players, um, it's, yeah, no chance. And then you know, close to getting a few players, good players, Brighton players, then obviously you get eight other agencies go in there and throw money at them, say, so, you know, we'll give you 100 grand, sign on 5th sign for us for two years, and and you can't you can't compete with that. So yeah. I, yeah, I, I just got out of there very quickly before I yep. got in too deep. Yeah. Um, and then I was doing a bit of coaching, uh, for new local clubs, New Haven, Haven, helping them go up the leagues, uh, from the sort of county league up to the Ryman leagues. And then I wasn't really working for the first three years since I retired. Uh, obviously met my wife, Jenny, who I'm with now. We've got two lovely children, Harrison and Amelia you know, sort of going on holiday. I was able to go on holidays during the year instead of <laughs> just at the end of the season, I was able to start skiing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But now the last sort of seven years, eight years I've been doing business telecoms um, and providing businesses, uh, you know, like line rentals, broadband, hosted phone systems, but more importantly, more this year with everything that's been going on, I've been really busy with my clients, just making mm-hmm. sure they're set up for remote and homeworking. working from their laptops their mobile phones, um, that sort of thing, which is still part of the phone system. It's it's very boring compared to football, but for (laughs) businesses, it's very important that they've got a broadband connection, a line that they can make calls, that sort of stuff. And resiliency, disaster recovery and everything like that. Mm. uh, And I I always want to do a good job for my customers and clients, you know, because word of mouth goes everywhere. Mm -hmm. If you do a good job for one, um,
0: then, you know, they'll, they'll speak about it and you get business. So that's what I'm doing now. Um, yeah. How did you get into that? And, and how, how can people find out more about, about your company?
1: Well, I, I got into that because I was hosting at the MX on match days in the, in the 1901 lounges. And there was a particular telephone company there that I'm no longer with that sort of offered me a job. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really like the way they were working quite dishonest and just ripping people off. And so That's why I'm not going to name them, but I got out of there very quickly because what I didn't want to do was spend 14 years playing, three years hosting, to build up a reputation, to being a loyal, trustworthy, honest guy, going around being, using uh, my name, if you like, to, for these directors to, who are Brighton fans to sign up for business and be ripped off. Mm. So I just, I just left that. And now I'm based up in Hursby, point mid-Sussex, um, with a company called Artemis Telecoms. And it's going really well. So you can you can either reach me on you know artemistelecoms.co.uk, or if anyone's really interested, give me an email. It's just my first name, Kerry.mayo at artemistelecoms.co.uk. Um, drop me an email if I can help out or save you guys some money. I will do. I mean, this year talking on that, uh, I, I look after a lot of charities. Mm local well-known charities and say managed to save one fifteen and a half thousand pound a year yeah. just by swapping over their lines and calls and their billing to me um and you know it's for a time where they they've had to pull all fundraising events and and not get any money in yeah. those you know that's that's managed to you know to really help them out that's a lot of money and yeah. for the next two years they're saving you know well over thirty thousand pounds just because of on the like for like just they still, mm-hmm. just like changing your energy bill from British Gas to Eon, that mm-hmm. sort of thing, you know. You don't lose service, you just start saving money. Mm-hmm. So if I can do that, save people money, keep customers happy, then uh, everyone wins. It's a good, good place to be in.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, look, with we, we each guest, we, we play a little game called Jumpers for Goalposts. I'm going to ask you to pick a five-a-side team from players that you've played with throughout your career. So who would be your first pick? five side should we start and goal you we it's up to you whether you want a goalie or not because you could have a rush keeper in a 5 side team so some people do go with one some people don't it's your choice
1: oh right okay oh this is putting me on a spot because there's players <laughs> there that potentially listen to this and think hang on a second how am i not in there how am i not in there <laughs> so I, th- I think the obvious one's got to be well bobby zamora up front mm-hmm. obvious reasons you know he's got on amazing things great player i don't really need to speak too much about him he's you know he's got great touch great eye for goal brilliant holding up play He was just a revelation to play with it really was mm-hmm. um, so bobby zamora there's your first one yeah uh i'd have guy butters yeah nothing gets past him certainly on the fiver mm-hmm. side he's and he'd probably be my sweeper keeper actually he'd stick his head in front of anything you know he'd tell, he'd tell him the ball's a burger and he'd eat it <laughs> but I'd have Guy Butters because he can play as well he's got a very good left foot probably one of the best I've ever seen at reading the game as well um, so I'd have Butts uh, I suppose I would I would be the manager I can't pick myself I'll be the manager you can pick yourself but you can be the manager if you like no, I'll be the manager because I'm going to okay. pick six other players. Is it five aside okay. or six side? Five aside, yeah. Well, so, so we've so got probably three more. I've got Guy Butters. Uh, let's, let's chuck uh, Bozzy in there, Paul Brooker. Mm-hmm. Not many people would have him, but I'm going to have him because he's quick as anything. Mm-hmm. And I used to love it playing left back, him, left wing. Yeah, I bet. just give him, the, give him the ball and then just tell him, go on, take him on, take him on because. You know, he, he was the only player that Mickey used to allow not to head the ball. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else, put your head in where it hurts. He goes, not you, Boz. We need you. We need you. Your quick feet. <laughs> Give him the ball. And he used to take people on for fun. Yeah. He was just yeah. that quick. Great, great player. There's nothing of him. You know, if, mm. and he used to get knocked hard as well and then still get up and still go. Mm. Um, was it, I'd, I'd have Gary Hart in there. Yeah. Yeah, reason being, many reasons actually. He was my roommate for eight, nine years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're still very good pals now. But he was he's one of those players that technically, not 10 out of 10, but he worked every day. And he probably was the hardest working on the, not in so much in training, but on that pitch. When he crossed that white line in the pitch, he never gave anything up. There was never a dead ball when he was around. And He's like the Carlos Tevez O'Brien used to give... Run, defenders absolute run around so it's very hard working on so I'll definitely have him mm-hmm. um, and then one more mm. I'm going to say Richard Carpenter mm-hmm. jippy mm-hmm. yeah uh, and many reasons, great on the ball very calm in possession great at breaking the play up absolute leader on and off the pitch Uh and just an all-round nice guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the list the list can go on. You you know, yeah, you're looking at like Charlie Oakway you could have in there, who's, you know, Paul Watson, Danny Cullett, uh-huh. um, Nathan Jones. There's so many. <laughs> Chris Wilder. There, there's loads I could have in there. Keith McPherson, yeah. he was a good one. But I suppose those five there and the reasons I've given for them, you're not going to lose many games with them in the team. No, that's a good team. They're, good team and they'd win the game in the tunnel <laughs> before the game
0: um next question is that i'm going to ask you to pick one match which um if you had the option to uh have sort of extended highlights on match of the day for one just for one night if you could just choose one game from your time uh, what would you what would you pick to watch again there's
1: quite a few actually i'll tell you the way i describe myself when i played like a gary neville of man united I never had an exceptional game. But I never really had a bad one. I was always like Mr. Consistent sort of thing, you know. Um, so very rarely, I got man of the match probably about 20 times in my 400 and so games, that's all. But um, I never really had a bad game. But one game in particular that really sticks out for me, we're in a championship. It was t- coming towards the latter end of the season. I think it's like February evening. I started needing to win points to stand the league. And where Derby County had just been they there in the Premier League the season before, they come down to the Wivdean and Ravenelli was there. Um, but we beat them 1-0 and it was the 89th minute and it was myself that scored the goal. Mm-hmm. I remember the corner coming over and I've headed it. It's, it's headed down, I beat the keeper, hit the post, rebounded back to me about eight yards out. and I've done like a, a side volley. And I've seen pictures of it, I've seen videos of it, and the technique is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like textbook, textbook technique. And that's the sort of goal that they talk about a match matches like there, about the technique, you know, head over the ball, get your leg yeah, it's just. But I remember it, and Ravinelli was sort of going nuts on the sideline that we'd just beaten Derby County in the 89th minute one nil and obviously that has made it got the winner so Mm
0: -hmm. okay
1: that's that's probably the one game i'd I'd sort of look back on
0: yeah good choice um right now a quick shootout um i just fire some questions at you You just give me your first response goldstone with dean or amex goldstone Mm -hmm. Uh, in a penalty shootout do you put your hand up and say yeah i'll take a penalty or do you avoid the manager put my hand up i want to take the fifth one because i want the glory
1: <laughs>
0: um var or no var for you no var okay um day or night match night mm-hmm. if you could play one other professional sport what would it be uh, rugby union or mm. golf 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 okay i was going to say uh, what might have been rugby union but golf golf now um golf old now, wembley then, yeah okay old wembley or new wembley old wembley Okay, and if, if you could meet one footballer from any era, who would they be, and, and, and why? Brian Robson, um, mm-hmm. left-footed midfielder.
1: He's he was the player that I used to look up to and aspire to be when I was younger. Box to box, mm. um, winning tackles, great on the ball, and you know, sort of last-minute runs. The latter version of that would have been like Paul's goals, mm. but. Um, but early years, me growing up, the one player that I remember was always Brian Robson,
0: left-footed like myself. Cool. Um, tell us something about you, which a lot of people may not know. Uh, I'm happily married with my wife
1: called Jenny um, and two lovely children, Harrison and Amelia. Uh, because people still think, and this has happened actually, it's <laughs> shouldn't laugh about it. But I got divorced uh, from my wife, who is also Kerry. Because a lot of fans still think Kerry, the two Kerry Mayos, there's not, there's only one. Um, but I got divorced from my ex-wife about 13, 14 years ago. But even still, up until recently, you get into a Brighton taxi, up, you know, sort of after a nice meal out with the wife, nice couple of glasses of wine, going home, thinking on for a promise, <laughs> and the taxi driver just looks, oh, "Hello, Kerry," "Hello, Kerry," just assumes it's the other guy. Oh, no. then, then you can imagine it sort of kills the moment so <laughs> so for those fans out there that don't know i'm happily married jenny is absolutely amazing she's wonderful she's the best wife there is to be she's a fantastic mother to my children harris and amelia uh, life's good life's really good actually mm-hmm. and re- yeah so yeah that, one one there's only one kerry
0: mayo and uh, and the boss is jenny Good, good, to, good, to hear. I'm um, hoping that would clear things up in the future for you when you get into the next taxi. Um, <laughs> and um, if if you could influence one thing about the game today, um, it might be a rule change. It might be a behavioural thing in football. What would you just wave your magic wand and change?
1: I think the obvious as the obvious one is the offside. Um, I, I, you know, all this technology now it's killing the game in the sense that. It, I don't mind the VAR, but let's get it right. Mm-hmm. What you know, and I'm, it's hard to explain without having the the picture to show you. But for an example, if the defender's feet are closer to his goal than what the attacker's feet are, you know, if Patrick Bamford's a, a prime example of that, he was pointing. He was onside, but he was pointing where he wanted the ball passed, and he, and his arm went offside. Mm.
0: That was that's, a ridiculous one.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so come on, let's just make it so it's, it's let's go with your feet. Not even your bum, your chest, your shoulder, head or anything. Let's go with your feet, where mm-hmm. your feet are or something like that, because then then it's clear and obvious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you don't need all the lines. If your toes or whatever is ahead of the defenders, then you're offside. Mm-hmm. But if it's your arm, the rest of your body, you're on onside. It's you know, let's, let's just keep it clear and obvious. Then that way it's black and white. Everyone knows what the rule is rather than not anyone knowing. yeah, That's, that's the one thing I'll change. And you, you asked the question, VR or no VR. The reason I say no VR is because it doesn't bloody work. It, because, when it's it, not, when it,
0: because it's not working... Because it's, it doesn't work
1: under the current rules. Or, or do you reckon it could, it, could it work? It's, it's, it, it could work, yeah. But mm. it's inconsistent. And there's too many... You know, if it's not clear and obvious and then the referee has to go, to, they can't even work it out in the studio. Mm. The referee then has to go to the side of the pitch to work it out. It's still not clear and obvious. Mm. Then put it in the favour of the attacker. Mm. It's, 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 it's frustrating because match of the day, I, I love match of the day. I look forward to watching it every Saturday evening. And then it gets to VAR. And all they ever seem to talk about is VAR. VAR. And there's, there's a penalty pretty much in every Premier League game at the moment because of VAR, it's been called back or overruled. Just let the game bloody flow, mm. please. You know, mm. Just, yeah. uh, I'm all for VAR if it works and, and it's consistent. At the moment, it's not. And I'm, I mean, everyone talks about it the way I do because it is, as it stands at the moment, it's ruining the game of our, our lovely sport mm-hmm. as it stands. But it will work if they do it properly.
0: Yeah. Okay. And, and then finally, what message do you have for the Albion fans?
1: Just continue to be positive. You know, we're in the best league in the world. We're going to lose games. We're probably going to lose more than we win. Um, but, you know, remember to stay together, stay behind the team. The team needs you. There's no better feeling than when you're on that pitch as a player than the fans cheering you on, cheering the team on. So just, you know, when we do get back to getting in the stadiums again, let's be nice and vocal and, mm. and really enjoy it and, and enjoy the success.
0: And we'll be a part of it fans us as fans will be a part of that success mm-hmm. kerry it's been fantastic having you on hearing about your memories i think we could have just we could talk for ages because we've only really touched on the, uh, a, a a tiny bit of of what was a incredible albion career for you thanks so much for taking the time to come on the podcast no it's an absolute pleasure lovely talking to you Rips. thanks very much Thanks so much again to Kerry for coming on the podcast. As I mentioned, I could have spoken to him for a while. Perhaps we can get him on in the future to tell a few more of those stories. That's it then for this podcast. But if you can, please do leave a review on Apple Podcasts and share this with everyone who will listen. Thanks for listening.